You know, people wonder if the faith makes an impact, if the faith makes an impact. I appreciate so much that text that Brother Show led us through this morning in the morning service out of the book of James. James, who has zero tolerance for a faith that has no effect on a life. James believed that what we believed affected how we behave. And so we wonder, does the faith really make a difference? Does it really make a difference? And indeed it does. Let me, let me just share with you again. There's a statistic floating around that says one out of two marriages end in dissolution. One out of two marriages, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And that's really not an accurate statistic. It likes to be thrown around, but it's not an accurate statistic. It is actually, it was actually a prognostication from the Barna Research Group, who they, in their studies, said if the current trends continue, the eventual statistic will be 50% of marriages will end in divorce. The reality is it's one out of three marriages, the one out of three. Still a horrible statistic, but it's one out of three. But if a couple goes to church together, if a couple regularly goes to church together, that number, that statistic moves to one out of 155 marriages. One out of 155 marriages. I would say the faith makes a difference when it is practiced. When a couple not only goes to church together, but prays together, goes to church and prays together, the statistic becomes one out of 1,055, one out of 1,055, the faith makes a difference. The faith determines how we respond to circumstances in our lives, how we respond to setbacks. The faith keeps us from being sidetracked, shipwrecked, sidelined. We keep our eyes on Christ and we move forward. We should not consider it a surprise when life shakes us up. I was talking to Brother Show this morning, appreciated so much after the service. He shared this comment. He said that there's, there's, there was a discussion going on, as best as I recall, there was a discussion going on as to why so many people walk away from the faith. Why do so many people walk away from God? And the bottom line, line seems to be this. It's because God does not meet their expectations. And so, like in a marriage, when one spouse does not meet another spouse's expectations, there is then disillusionment and discouragement. And so when God does not meet our expectations, there is disillusionment and there is discouragement. And people walk away with the idea that, well, I tried God, that didn't work. Well, the fact of the matter is we should expect only one thing from God, that's judgment. That is what he owes us. But then God marvelously offers us full and free pardon by his grace. And, and so if there's anybody that has the right to have expectations, it's the God who has made us, who then expects us to be faithful to him, loyal to him, to live for him. And when we fall, gives us a way to get back and to get back at it. So we expect sometimes, well, if I'm a child of God, my life should just be smooth sailing. Well, talk to the apostles. Just read the accounts of the apostles in the Gospels. There were times when it wasn't smooth sailing. There were times when they weren't getting eight hours of sleep a night. There were times when they were going, at times without food. Times when they were weary, fatigued, 
And so I want us tonight to take a look at this idea of why is it that our lives sometimes are shaken up? And when our lives are shaken, do we understand it's not for the purpose of destroying us or, de- or derailing us. It, those times of being shaken up are for the purpose of developing us, developing us. Look with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22. The Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22. While you're turning there, somebody wisely said that testing, testing, trials locate us. Trials locate a man. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, those trials reveal where we are spiritually. Those difficulties reveal where we are spiritually. When we respond, or how we respond under pressure, how we respond under pressure is the real us. When the enemy shakes, he has one purpose, and that's to destroy us, to sideline us, to derail us. But when God allows that shaking, and every shaking comes with a permission slip from our Heavenly Father, when He allows the shaking, it is that we might be developed, developed into Christ's likeness, developed in our faith for His honor and for his glory. Luke chapter 22 is where we start tonight. Luke chapter 22, and beginning in verse 31. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold. Stop there for just a moment. Already you get the the sense of what Jesus is about to say. This is weighty. Simon, Simon, urgency. Behold, listen, it's as if Jesus with his words is putting his hands on the face of Peter and saying, look into my eyes, listen, catch this. Like sometimes we do with a two-year-old child who's not listening. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You see the next verse. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Peter did not know himself, but there would be a shaking, a sifting that would occur that would bring him to the end of himself and to show him the real Peter. And it will show that he was not as bold and strong and courageous as he thought he was. Verse 34, he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now, in our text, I think that pronouns are very, very important. So I want you to notice this. Again, in verse 31, the pronouns, they're there for a reason. In our Bibles, they're there for a reason. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have, what's that next word? You. All right? And he said that he may sift, what's the next word? You, as wheat. Now, anytime you see you, ye, you all, it's a plural. In old King James English, it's a plural pronoun. Second person, plural. And so what Jesus is doing is he's talking about the, the, the apostles. And they would be sifted. They would be shaken. 
And then I want you to notice in verse, 33, uh, verse uh, 32, but I have prayed for thee, that singular. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So the you would refer to the brethren, the other apostles. Thee would be specifically to Peter. Peter, I'm giving you a heads up. The apostles are going to go through a shaking, a sifting. And it's meant to destroy them. But when you have turned back, when you have been converted, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for thee. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So there will be a shaking, a sifting in Peter's life. And it will bring him to the end of himself. And he'll see that what he needs is Christ. What he needs is Jesus. Look toward the end of the New Testament with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, familiar verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. These are very helpful when we are moving through a shaking in our lives, something that is designed to rattle us, uh, or something that may be in danger of rattling us. It's designed instead that we might be strengthened and, and grow. And so uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 8, you see these verses. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So there are times when people become intoxicated with their own victory, intoxicated with their own success. They're intoxicated with their own walk. And hence, they are vulnerable. He says, be sober and be vigilant. Be clear-headed. Be alert. He says, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is on the prowl. The devil is on the hunt. He is stalking his prey. Verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Peter is telling the readers of this, of this letter, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are facing the same thing. This is not unusual to you. This is not unique to your situation. And then it says in verse 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his, into, unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. See, we think that when we're in the center of God's will, there's never any suffering. There's never any shaking. There's never any sifting. Just smooth sailing. But Peter tells us that one of the designs that God has for the difficulties that we face is that we would be settled, strengthened, established. So there are reasons why the Lord may ordain some shaking in our lives. Let me suggest to you some things in this topical message on the reasons for shaking. And will we be derailed or developed? Number one, shaking reveals. Shaking reveals. God uses shaking in our lives to reveal. We are familiar with Luke chapter 6. In Luke 6, Jesus is preaching what he preached also in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, only he's preaching a sermon in the valley. Same truths, parallel truths, as are found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in Luke chapter 6, there's a vast multitude of people there. 
And then there are also disciples who are uh, apprenticing under Christ. And then there are the apostles, the ones who are chosen. They're chosen at the beginning of chapter 6. And as Jesus passes through this vast multitude, he hears them cry out his name of authority. Lord, Lord. And so Jesus calls them out and says, why call you me Lord, Lord? There is this implied attachment. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And it's in that text where Jesus says that he who comes to me, hears what I say and does what I say, I'll show you unto whom he is like. He is like unto a man which built a house upon a rock. And the, and the floods came, be vehemently against that house, and could not shake it. He that cometh to me and heareth and doeth not is like the man who built his house upon the sand. And the floods rose, and the wind beat vehemently, and the house built on the sand on the earth fell immediately. It wasn't worn down. There was not an erosion. It fell immediately. And he says, and great was the fall of it. The shaking of the wind against the house reveals the foundation upon which that house is built. And building our house upon a rock, I know that our Savior is a rock. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the rock of our defense. He is the rock of our strength. But in that context, in Luke 6, the rock is this. Coming to him, hearing him, and doing what he says. That builds a strong foundation for the Christian life to grow on. But if we come to him and we just hear but don't do, we might get away for a while fooling everybody else. Because other people don't know whether you and I are having devotions until the floods beat vehemently against our life and we collapse. Then it reveals, aha, this guy wasn't having a close relationship with God. He was coming, he was hearing, but he wasn't applying what he was doing, what he was hearing. He wasn't applying what Jesus was telling him. And so shaking has a revealing aspect to it. Why would the Lord allow me to go through a flood? Why would the Lord allow me to go through the wind? Why am I so shaken by this? It's so that the reality of the foundation can be revealed. Are we building upon the rock? Are we people who come to him, hear what he says and do what he says? Or are we hearers? only. And so one of the purposes of shaking is to reveal to our hearts the foundation on which we're standing. Are we building on sand, the earth, or are we building on the rock? Uh, Shaking not only reveals, shaking awakens, (laughs) doesn't it? Shaking awakens. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 9, Joel, chapter 2, verse 9, we find that God's desire is to arouse Israel from sleep. And so what is he going to do? He's going to shake them with judgment. And so when somebody is asleep, I mean, we would do this in Bible college, had a fellow behind me, his name was Carl, he pastors a church in Pahrump, Nevada now. And uh, he was driving a truck at night, trying to put food on the table while at the same time going to Bible college. And uh, he's, he's got a great work ethic, but you know, sometimes the spirit is willing the flesh is weak, and he'd be sitting behind me in Greek class, snoring. And we'd try to shake him to arouse him from sleep. And sometimes other students, I would not do this to anybody, but other students, when Carl was asleep, they'd rouse him and say, Carl, Dr. Gordon's called on you to pray. You need to pray. Stand and pray. 
And right in the middle of class, he'd stand and pray. Find out class had another 30 minutes to go. That was cruel. But sometimes shaking is designed to wake us up. And don't we need that from time to time? Sometimes shaking is designed to wake us up. So it reveals our foundation. Sometimes it's designed to stir us from slumber, to stir us from sleep. I love how God uses his truth time and time again to rouse us to alertness. Sometimes shaking is used to harvest. It's not only used to reveal the foundation upon which we're building our lives. Am I coming to Jesus, hearing what he says, doing what he says? It's not only designed to arouse me from slumber. Sometimes it's designed to harvest. This was an amazing thing I saw. I, I, I had heard about it. And so I, I, yes, I Googled it and saw a video of how farmers at times, I don't know if it's consistent across the board, but how they harvest oranges. I saw this machine that pulled up with like a fork, put, put a tree right between those forks, and then an inverted umbrella-like contraption surrounded that trunk. And then those forks went against that tree and just shook the daylights out of it. And the oranges, they dropped into this umbrella thing, inverted umbrella, and they were funneled into a place where the oranges would be uh, collected and stored. That's amazing. It shook the tree and shook the fruit. I always pictured ladders and people with uh, some baskets slung over their arm, taking oranges, and I'm sure that happens. But I think it's a lot easier just to shake the tree and get that ripe fruit off of there. Sometimes that happens in our lives as well. Sometimes there's a harvest. God is the one who gives the harvest. You're familiar with that text out of 1 Corinthians 3. Some plant some water, but God gives the increase. And sometimes he'll use a shaking event in order to harvest ripe fruit. People who are on the verge of putting their faith and trust in Christ. And God may allow their life to be shaken that pushes them over the edge to see their need for a Savior, to see their need for this God. So shaking can reveal, shaking can awaken, shaking can shaking can. Harvest. Sometimes shaking is used to settle. And this is something that Peter refers to in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says in verse 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. I call it the tinker toy principle. When I was a kid, we played with tinker toys. Uh, how many people know what tinker toys are? course you do how many of you have no idea all right that's all right that's all right they were toys you would tinker with so they were little sticks little sticks and you had these little wheels with a bunch of holes in them and you would construct things pushing the stick into a hole and then and then you take another another wheel and and uh, stick the stick there and so you'd build stuff tinker toys we would do that on tv trays okay And if I couldn't reach them on the table, we would, I would sit on a phone book. So I would, it would be time to clean up my room, so I'd have to put all the tinker toys in this, in this tube that had a cap on one end, put all the tinker toys in that tube. And because I was like four years old, they wouldn't all fit. And so I would tell my dad, and he showed me this great magic trick. He would take that tube and he would bounce it up and down. And all the Tinker Toys would settle and I could put more in there. 
And then he'd bounce it up and down some more. And more of those things. He would shake it and everything would settle into place. Sometimes that's what God does with our lives. Sometimes there's a shaking that we might be more productive. The contents get settled with the purpose of adding more. You know, God talks about his blessings this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, where he says, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together. Good measure shall men give into your bosom. So that's Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Shaken down so that more could be added. Sometimes that's what God is doing. Sometimes the shaking get, puts us in a place where we prioritize. Sometimes we're, the shaking puts us in a place where we see what's really important versus that which is trivial. We see, we see that which is earthly versus that which is heavenly. And so sometimes there's a good thing from that shaking. We sort things out. We downsize. We, we see what's valuable. So there are purposes in these things. These are not designed to destroy us. The devil would love for us to be destroyed. The devil would love for us to walk away from the faith. But God means to reveal, to awaken, to harvest, to settle. Sometimes shaking is used to remove dead branches. Sometimes it's designed to move that, remove that which is dead. We see that every fall, don't we? That one day in September when we have fall here in the high desert. We see this principle. There's a wind that comes through. The trees have their leaves. Their leaves have died. And the wind shakes those branches and those leaves fall and go into our neighbor's yard. So the shaking removes that which is dead. And sometimes that's what happens as well. Very similar to what we uh, saw before as far as determining, the, the, uh, determining that which is valuable from that which is unvaluable. Sometimes the shaking removes that which is dead. And just a handful of things so far. We could stop here and already we have plenty of information on why God may allow us in his wisdom to move through shaking. And he never allows us to be shaken on our own. He accompanies us. He gives us his grace. He gives us his presence. He gives us great principles from the word of God. He gives us the, the spirit of God. He gives us the people of God. So there's this shaking. Why do I have to go through this? Well, maybe God's trying to reveal the foundation that you're building your life on. Why do I have to go through this? Maybe the Lord's trying to stir you out of sleep and wake you up to unseen realities. Maybe God's trying to harvest some fruit from your life. Maybe the Lord's trying to settle some things so that he can put more in your life for his honor and glory and use you in an even greater way. Maybe God's removing things that are dead. I know that during the pandemic, we saw some amazing things happen. The devil meant for the pandemic to destroy us, but God meant for the pandemic to develop us. And so there were times when there were people, because they were concerned for their soul, because they were, they, there was a likelihood they could be in eternity in a very short time, they turned to Christ. Others, others walked away from the things of God. They weren't seen to be that valuable to them. Others found their ministry redirected in ways. Others found that there were uh, things in their ministry that they could build and add to and have an even greater outreach. So God has a plan for shaking. Sometimes the shaking is to strengthen. Now, I am not an agronomist, <laughs> not an arborist, but I understand that there are times that there are trees that are subject to the elements and being subjected to the elements strengthens those trees. 
So they're subjected to the wind and the wind strengthens those trees. And so while some may think, oh, that tree's not going to make it, it's designed to strengthen the tree. And so, it, so we are strengthened as well. And 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about this, that, the, that these things would strengthen them. The trials that they went through would strengthen them. Sometimes the shaking is to set the stage. Sometimes the shaking is to set the stage so that God's power can be manifested. Think of that for a moment. Can you think of some occasions in the Bible where things were shaken up so that God's power could be put on display? How about taking the apostles and putting them in a fisherman's boat and sticking them in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on a stormy night? What was that about? It was the setting of the scene so that Jesus could reveal to these men his power. When he was asleep with them in the when he was asleep, but he was with them in the boat, they were panicking, they were alert, they were aware, they were afraid. They wake him up, they say, Carest thou not that we perish. And then Jesus, with words, calms the wind and the waves. And what do they say? What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. They would not be brought to that realization without that storm. The second time they're in a storm, Jesus comes walking on the water. They're in the storm. They've been rowing all night. Jesus is on the water. They're terrified. Jesus says to them, be of good cheer, it is I. And that's when Peter walks on the water. But immediately when Jesus gets to the boat, what happens? The wind and the waves cease. When Jesus gets to the boat, no words spoken. Just when he gets to the boat, Matthew records this, Mark records this, John speaks of this. When he gets to the boat, the wind and the waves cease. And they do not say, what manner of man is this? They get off of the places where they're seated in a fisherman's boat. They get to where Jesus is. They put their head to the ground and they say this, truly, thou art the son of God. So sometimes the shaking is setting the stage for God to put his power on display that we might be struck afresh and anew with the power of our God and the person of our God and the character of our God. Why is the Lord letting me go through this? Because he wants to put himself on display in your eyes so you can trust him more. Rest in him. Look for him. In the midst, accept accept his, his presence as the source of peace. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. So sometimes the shaking is to reveal. Sometimes the shaking is to stir from sleep. Sometimes it's to reap a harvest. Sometimes it's to settle content. Sometimes it's to strengthen. Sometimes it's to remove that which is dead. Sometimes it's to set the stage for God to do something amazing. And sometimes shaking is designed to unify. Sometimes it's designed to unify. Things were getting shaken up in the Corinthian church. And Paul writes to unify the church. And of whom does he write? He writes of Christ. He writes of the finished work of Christ on the cross. He writes of the gospel. He takes these factions of the church and seeks to take these factions and get their attention directed again to Jesus Christ, the source of their unity. Sometimes that shaking is designed to mix together. You think of oil and vinegar and shaking it up so that it is mixed together. 
Now, the key to maturity, catch this, and I know that we understand this. Our pastor uh, very often will talk about this. The key to maturity is not simply knowledge. You and I have met many folks, and we could fall into this trap ourselves if we're not careful, and perhaps at times we have. We can fall into the trap of thinking that because I know a certain amount, I am now spiritually mature. That's not what maturity is. Maturity is obedience. Maturity is obedience to what we know the Bible says, what we've heard the Bible say. So that's maturity. Maturity is not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of obedience. And so our maturity is developed when we move through these shaking times. Men move through them well. Shaking can lead to being sidelined, sidetracked, shipwrecked. That's not God's plan. So knowing that there's going to be this shaking, in fact, let me take your attention to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Let me give you quickly the things that we can do, the steps that we can take, the approach that we can apply in this business of being shaken. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, we read these words. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Hey, first, anticipate it. Anticipate the shaking so that when it happens, You don't get surprised by it. What's going on? This was not in the brochure of Christianity. I'm being shaken. What is this? I don't remember this in the recruitment video. (laughs) No, but we understand it from the word of God. And as we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to, as I said, be his apprentices, as we seek to follow him, uh, there's going to be, there are going to be times of being shaken, anticipated. And I heard this was coming. I heard this was on its way. I heard that this was coming because God wants to develop me. He doesn't want to destroy me. He doesn't want to derail me. He wants to develop me. So anticipate it. Secondly, focus. Focus. Not only do we anticipate the trials are going to come, the shaking is going to come, the disturbances are going to come, the turbulence is going to come, but also focus. What do we focus on? We looked at this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We focus on Christ. We focus on Christ. Christ. You ever been on a roller coaster ride that made you a tad nauseous? Ever been playing a VR game that made you a tad nauseous? Ever been seasick? Ever been on a a, a boat going up and down and been a tad nauseous? Tad nothing. Ever been outright nauseous? They say sometimes the way to combat that is to focus, find a focal point, find a focal point. And so we have the focal point is Jesus for us who are believers. We look to him, the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to him, focus on him. And the third thing is we trust. We trust, we anticipate, yeah, we're going to be shaken. We put our eyes on Jesus and then we trust him. We trust him. Now, we talked about at times putting expectations on God and then be disappointed when he doesn't meet our expectations. But the fact is, there is something that God tells us we can expect. He is a God who keeps his word. 
And he lets us know we can expect him to keep his word. And so when there is temptation that comes our way, it's not going to be temptation that overwhelms us. It'll be temptations such as are common to man. And that he will always make a way of escape. And when there is the trying, when there is shaking in our lives, we know that God has a plan for it, so we trust him. Habakkuk was a man who was shaken. He was going through a shaken time. He was, he was prophesying as God would give him utterance. He would see the wickedness in the nation to whom he prophesied. He would cry out judgment and listen for judgment. And all he heard were crickets. And he says, how long shall I cry out? How long will you open my eyes to the evil and I cry out against it and you won't do anything? And God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do and you're not going to believe it. He says, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. And they're going to come in and basically like a vacuum cleaner, they're going to sup up everything and they're going to take the uh, occupants of the land. They're going to take them as hostages. And what does Habakkuk say? I don't believe it. And, he, and then Habakkuk remembers these things that he knows about God. God is pure. God is holy. God is just. God is personal. God is powerful. God is a God who keeps his word. I like what Habakkuk did. He got his eyes on God. And those things that he knew about God reinforced his trust in God. And Habakkuk, at the very end of the book, Habakkuk does not get, get the promise from God that there'll be a restoration. He doesn't get the promise from God that the land will once again be flowing with milk and honey. He doesn't get that promise. But at the end of the book of Habakkuk, here's what Habakkuk says. Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet. That little red deer that seems to stick to the side of rocks, the side of steep inclines, that little deer that's not afraid of heights and that jumps from one rock to another, certain its feet will cling to the rock. Old Habakkuk says, that's what God has done for me. He has made my feet like hind's feet. And these setbacks and these stumbling blocks are now stepping stones. I'm going to trust God. So the first thing we do is we anticipate that shaking's coming. It's going to happen. God's interested in developing us. I remember in junior high school, back years ago, just after the uh, uh, development of electricity, <clears throat> I, remember, I remember back in junior high school how that we had a photography class. And I remember taking a, a photographic paper after an image had been, had been um, uh, placed upon it through light and through the, through the negative. I remember taking some tongs, taking that piece of photographic paper in a dark room and putting it inside a solution, a tub of solution, and shaking it. And, the, and as I shook that, the picture would develop. That's what God does. He shakes us in the tub of these circumstances. 
because he's developing us. Developing us into what? Developing us into the likeness of Jesus. And so we anticipate, we focus, we trust, and finally, we pray. We pray. I didn't say play, I said pray. James 5 tells us, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's a great declaration for James to make under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Much Prayer accomplishes things. I don't know how it works with the sovereignty of God and the will of man, but I know this. God has ordained that prayer accomplishes things. And then you want an exhibit? He gives us exhibit A out of the Old Testament. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. The the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And when I say, I don't know uh, how that, that reconciles the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, I'm not making light of the sovereignty of God nor of the responsibility of man. I'm just saying, I don't know how it all works. I just know this. God said we ought to pray. And if we're lacking wisdom, he says in James chapter 1, we ought to pray. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. We ought to pray. So we anticipate, we focus, we trust, and we pray. Because God's desire is not to make us comfortable, but to make us Christ-like. And may our desires line up with God's desires. May we too desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. For some of us in this room, some of these principles, as we've gone through eight of them, they're resonating with you. You can see why God has allowed the shaking in your life. And by His grace, stay with it. By His grace, don't walk away. By His grace, you can be victorious. By His grace, you can develop into the character of Christ. Don't run from the shaking. Don't fear it. Don't be anxious over it. Is this not why James also says, before he says, if any man lack wisdom, he says, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. God has a plan. It's the best plan. It's not just a good plan. It's the best plan. And through any type of shaking, God is more than enough. More than enough. I'm so glad that we belong to Jesus. I'm so glad that in a sense he belongs to us. He is ours, we are his. And a part of that is a great plan to become more like him. Let's stand together and take our hymn books, turn to hymn number 352, Now I Belong.